usually I have some big scripted written intro here that I read out and we kick off the episode with hype and some big stage setting narrative. Unfortunately today, nothing like that as we uh, sit down for a pretty gutting raw deal episode to review the 2023 grand final. Uh, I think probably our mood is going to be like a lot of Lions fans' mood. So, look, we're going to look at the good, we're going to look at the bad, and we're going to look at the path from here. We're also going to reward the 2023 Raw Deal medal here on the show. So get your best uh, cheese out there to to commiserate yourself. Take a seat, and uh, Mike Whiting and I are going to talk you through uh, a day in Brisbane Lions history that um, we probably would like to forget, but I don't think any of us are ever going to quite be able to forget. Mike, uh, it is Sunday morning as we sit here in the apartment I've rented in, in Docklands. This is actually our second um, grand final debrief. We caught up for a drink late last night just to to make sense of it. But but as we sit here, uh, you know, approaching um, 24 hours on from from when it all kicked off, what what's your primary uh, emotion and thought at the moment? Oh, it's hard. I'll probably waffle a bit here, but I got a couple of emotions and thoughts. Firstly, I was I was really flat. I uh, sort of selfishly, I wondered how I would deal with the day. As I've said so many times, like I, as a journal, I really wanted to work at a grand final with a team that I covered and a team that I'm, you know, very close to in Brisbane. And I thought, oh, I wonder how like invested I get. I wanted them to win, mm. obviously, and I was there was that inner supporter in me just wanting them to win. But sometimes when you're in work mode, I, I find that can be good. You don't quite get as invested in it. You can be a little bit clearer and not get caught up in the roller coaster that, that that a genuine supporter like you would ride the whole time. But And I was m- pretty good for most of the match until I, I reckon halfway through the last quarter, I actually started getting a bit like real edgy and like really <laughs> riding every decision and every yeah, moment yeah. and every call. And uh, so then when the match finished, I was, I was pretty flat. I remember like the siren went and I mean, I'd, I'd pr- my, um, in terms of my work duties, I was pretty much, you know, I was in a pretty good spot with that. I'd done 80 to 90% of what I needed to do by the time the siren rung and I knew I had a little bit of time up my sleeve. So I just sat there and I did actually, for one of the rare times in my life, just watch the scenes on the ground for a few minutes, mm. which I don't normally do after it when, when I hear a siren. And, and, and I just watched, I actually just had binoculars on Joe Danaher for 30 seconds and he just... Uh, like had his head on the ground just and a lot of players were spending time on their own on the ground and different but Joe just had his head down on the ground and I thought oh it was like a rare show of emotion from Joe that it really hurt him uh so I felt really flat and then I you know finished off my night's work and but my overriding emotion probably is and I'm not trying to like make this sound like a cheery episode because it's probably not going to be but it was just an unbelievable grand final like it is yeah. honestly yep i was trying to take myself out of the emotional supporter side of you know things and the investment i've got in brisbane and think where does this sit and i thought that's probably one of the best grand finals well certainly one of the best grand finals i've seen live and definitely one of the best grand finals in the afl since i've been alive i think mm. so many fluctuations it was like this dramatic shootout in the first half and then it came to this arm wrestle and and then late in the last quarter, we had a couple of lead changes in the last six minutes, which you don't often see in grand finals. Like Collingwood led, Brisbane led, Collingwood led, and Brisbane had another chance late. And you don't sort of often see that much drama late in a match with lead changes. So, but, And I hate this, yeah. by the way. The fact, because I agree with you, it was one of the best grand finals of all time, which 
absolutely sucks because it means we're going to have to be subject to replays of key moments from this game yeah. for yeah. the next 30, 40, 50 years. People are going to talk about the 2023 grand final and pull up side bottoms goal and to goal. And yeah, it, yeah, it's, it was a classic though. It was, yeah, it was amazing. And yeah, I was there in 2018 when Collingwood was on the other end of it. It was West yeah. Coast that pinched it with the Dom Sheed. Well, they didn't pinch it. They won it with the Dom Sheed goal with less than, I think that was about less than two minutes to go. And that was an amazing grand final. We've seen other great ones. 2012, mm. um, Sydney beat Hawthorne by about 10 points, but that was an absolute ripper as well. You know, 2010, a draw, 209. Whatever. There's been great 05, ones. 06, Sydney Yeah, West Coast. they were tight, but I didn't think those, those were as high as standard as this and I know there's turnovers and umpiring mistakes and we'll get to all of that I'm sure but um, just in terms of the the drama of this match like it had everything it had high skill some of the goal kicking was insane from both teams I've got to say like Mm. it was Brisbane's ridiculous conversion in the first half that kept them within striking distance but boy Collingwood kicked some remarkable goals what four or five or i don't know how many from outside 50 meters that were all pretty unlikely i've got to say like that's such a high level of skill finishing from both teams to yeah. the drama at the end of the game as we touched on so i was i'm sure we will touch on in greater depth but yeah it, ha- it had it had everything so yeah that grand final's right right up there and look we we will uh i guess paint a bit of a narrative towards the end of the episode about the story from here i, I guess the the thing I was saying to you last night is we had a, a drink together in Docklands and you had a late night pizza well earned after the, the day you'd put in my God, I was hungry. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think I'd eat the whole pizza actually, but I was, <laughs> we got there. We did get there. And and I said this to you at the time that so much of the pain now is because, as always is the case with life, we don't know what comes next. So if all of us, you know, had a had a crystal ball that was a bit more effective than our raw deal <laughs> well, one. Well, we do have a crystal ball, <laughs> a slightly more effective one. Then we could we could see it, you know, we could see ahead that the Lions win the premiership next year. This wouldn't hurt quite so much. I mean, it would still be a missed opportunity and all those things. But you you know how hard it is to get to these opportunities, and and there are no guarantees in footy. We you th- you look at the Lions group, and there's no reason they'll tail off next year. In fact, if anything, they, they should be a bit better with age profile and a few new inclusions. Um, but you never know. I mean, if, if a key player goes down with an injury or whatever else happens and you don't get back here. So so much of the pain of this, I think, is is now embracing the fact that for 12 months pretty much or, or 51 weeks, we aren't going to know if we're going to have the chance again. And and that's the, that's the bitter pill to swallow. It is. And it's next year we know that the benchmark is getting to another grand final, isn't it? So that's how the narrative is going to be shaped all year. So when Brisbane's one and two again, like they were this year, it'll be like the world's falling in because, oh, they've got to get back to a grand final. Mm. But you bang on. um, There is no guarantee. And it is a really, it's a very, I mean, we saw it this year. It's a very even competition. Mm. The Giants, I can't really see them tailing off most of their guy. Carlton, we saw what they did. Uh, you know, there's a bunch of teams. Who knows what Port Adelaide will do? You'd expect Melbourne to probably, you know, tinker, retool, get better. We can talk about all this later, but it's a very even competition. Mm. And, you know, like Brisbane will be judged on what they do next September and one little slip up there and you don't get back. And But what we have seen from Brisbane and it's sort of what Chris Fagan alluded to in his post-match press conference, like they've learned from all of these things. It was – they've just taken these – 
and it's been a long process. But haven't yes. they just taken these incremental steps? Well, they I, made the finals in 2019 and then yeah. the next year they won a final and got into a preliminary final and then they're up and you know up and down in terms of finals performances the next few years and now they've made a grand final. They've just sort of – you'd love to just go do a Western Bulldogs and just go bang, first time in or second time <laughs> in premiership, you know? Well, and it's funny, I, I said this to you, you and I um, caught up yesterday morning to walk to the the, the Raw Deal function we were hosting at Taxi Kitchen in Fed Square. And we'll talk a bit about the, the Raw Deal functions because I think they've been a, a highlight for, for this whole experience and certainly something we can expand upon, but we'll talk more about that shortly. Um, but I, as we were walking over to, to Fed Square together, I told you I'd woken up with a bit of a sick feeling in my stomach that it wasn't going to happen for us today. And my, my reasoning was, as you just said, and I think I've said something like this on the podcast before, but it feels to me like the Lions have had an Everest each year to climb. And once they've climbed it, that's as far as they go for the year. So 2019, the Everest was making finals and they climbed that and then they couldn't go any further. Then you come into 2020 and there's the disappointment of straight sets. So the Everest now is winning a final probably combined with beating Richmond. Against the Premiers, hoodoo, yeah. Right? Yep. So they do that and, and you know, the joy that when we're in a prelim, it's like Everest is being climbed and then they don't really do much after that. 2021, after some disappointing results, the Everest became making the top four and we climbed that Everest with, you know, that amazing West Coast game and, and that felt like the last real yelp we gave that year. And then 2022, obviously, the Everest was, okay, we've had a bunch of finals failures now. We need to win we need to do better in finals. We need to win at the G. We need to beat Melbourne. There are a bunch of things there and we ticked them all off in that semifinal. And then obviously we climbed Everest in the prelim. Um, we couldn't get it done. And this year, the Everest undeniably was make the grand final. We hadn't done it yet. Fifth year in finals has to happen. Did happen and we lost it. And so on that trajectory. You can't say that's not. I know with your analogy there of climbing Everest and whatever, but this mm. grand final is not a failure. It's not a it's not yeah. a failure, and I'm not saying it's an un, it's not like you know 2020 they beat Richmond and then capitulate or yep. last year in the prelim, but there is something to be said about the fact that they they only the, this group seems to take one step forward yep. at a time, as you were saying. Yeah, and so if that metric and that logic is correct and and continues to be correct. We will win the flag next year. Yeah. I mean, it's the only other step you can take, right? Or we'll lose it by less than four points. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine that, yeah. Just um, chipping away. <laughs> Tap it in. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, so on that metric, it, it you know, this that's a good reason for hope. And it's so funny because I think Chris Fagan said very early in his run at the club that um, that growth isn't linear. And it has proven to be almost relatively exactly linear. It has linear. been, yeah. The, mean, maybe the most linear build we, we've seen, almost. Yeah, it's not dis. Well, Hawthorne jumped and won the flag in two thousand and eight, and that's mm. why Fags. Because after that, they missed the finals in two thousand and nine. Then they came back into finals. Then they made a prelim. Then they lost a grand final. Then they won the flag again. Yeah. So if you take out that two thousand and eight, which you can't, because that's always in the back pocket, but. After that, it was another five years before they won one, and they were doing the incremental climb. Then made finals, lost a prelim, lost a granny, and then and then won it. So it's funny you say this, Mike. I just want to touch on that. Sorry to, to cut no, you no, off. No, 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 that was it. Really. Well, I did. I I noted that down because I do think our 2019 was their 2008 sort of. Yeah, it was. We, you we jumped me like, whoa! How did we how how did we get here so quickly? That's exactly. What both exactly. clubs thought. Yeah. And then and then there's a few years sort of in the wilderness where it doesn't quite work out, followed by 
working your way back up. And in 2012, when the Hawks made the grand final, that was a massive monkey off their back. I remember all of the talk in that time was, was is this Hawthorne team going to perennially mm. underachieve? And when they lost the grand final, I can vividly remember tuning into one of the, the footy talkback shows afterwards saying, well, that's the end of Hawthorne's run. They, they made yeah. it back here. They got themselves to a, to a grand final, um, but, but you know, they're going to be overtaken next year by these other teams and Sydney are going to go on a dynasty run now yep. and all these sorts of things. And obviously the Hawthorne journey hadn't even begun yet. Mm. And so now that's not saying you can lock in a three peak for the Lions <laughs> from here, <laughs> yeah. but it is, it is saying that, um, that unfortunately, and I think this is the, the real difficulty of it. We all have to, you know, it, actually Mike, it reminds me of, remember when Will Ashcroft did his knee? And we were talking about how he has to go through another Christmas, another New Year, another preseason, yeah. another like the, the, it's such a long time before he gets the chance to go again. And as footy fans, it's like we've just done a knee. Yep. It's such yeah. a long time until we get the chance to to go again now. And um, you know, it's I'm trying to visualize Dom in the future, sort of yelling back in time, "Hey, hold on, there's a three peak coming. It's pretty yeah. good over yeah. here." But but if if the cards do fall in the way that things work out brilliantly for the lines. We just we just won't know for a long time and we have to handle the uh, the unknowing. That's why you've got to like as a fan or as a supporter of the club, you got to you've got to enjoy the process. You can't be sort of worrying about what's going to happen in 12 months. You've got to mm. look at which players come into the club, like enjoy Will Ashcroft's comeback, see how Jack Payne progresses when he comes back in next year. Does Wilmot and Fletcher make leaps and like you've mm. got to look at all these little pieces that will help improve Brisbane as a team and as a club and Levi's and, draft, and yeah. try not to worry about the outcome. Sounds like real coach speak there, but you've that's how you've got to look at next year. How how can these players are we gonna see uh Cam Rayner who had a disappointing performance yesterday on, you know, the biggest game of all of their lives, but camp biggest game of Cam's life, he had a disappointing game. Is he just gonna say, Well, you know what, uh, like I'm I'm gonna dedicate myself to be the best runner or the strongest guy in the club or like how's he going to come back in preseason or mm. what's what's Jared Berry going to do like Jared Berry's probably going to have you know wake up a few times in this off season worrying about that 50 meter penalty that he gave to steel side bottom that gave you know Collingwood the ultimately the the winning advantage I guess like the Brisbane mm. couldn't overcome how is that going to drive him and there's all these little intangibles that we won't know about like you say until in, into the future like how do those players handle it and how how do they use it to to drive them on what does eric hipwood do like he had a i would say eric was was below his best yesterday mm. um be an understatement i thought he was was pretty average actually and um but but how does he use that he needs to support joe and is he going to make himself i don't know it's easy to say stronger or better or more competitive in big games i don't know but how how is eric going to use that he's a i think he's a competitive guy yeah but how's he going to harness it and use it to become a better player and it's probably a really good point there because i did notice a number of the players who were involved in key moments for collingwood side bottoms goal to goal on the run jack crisp from outside 50 that they were players who've tasted grand final heartbreak before mm. and there was a really interesting piece with jordan to a couple of days before the grand final where he spoke about knowing the pain of a grand final loss and how it had spurned him on to, to make him think that I will never let that happen again. I'll do everything in my power to make sure that doesn't happen again. And the Lions now have that. So, you know, it, it's one of those funny things, Mike, where um, possibly the Lions do win the flag next year. Maybe they do win two in a row. And then at the, you know, celebrations, mm. 
you, you hear from a Jared Berry and he says, if we didn't lose 2023, I don't think we win the last one or yeah. last two. Yeah. That was really the catalyst for, for everything that followed as it was for Hawthorne, I think in, in 2012. Um, so I agree with you. We don't know how, how they're going to use this. And I think Chris Fagan spoke beautifully about that after the game when he said, these things don't have to break you. They can make you. Yeah. And I think there is a lot of truth to that. Um, but I also do think that this, the most bitter taste in all of this is that um, the one, <laughs> I guess the one clause, get out clause that I've used for myself mentally with every loss in recent years, the heartbreaker to the Bulldogs in a semifinal or a smashing in a prelim or whatever it might be is, well, at least it wasn't the grand final. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and now, I mean, regardless of what happens, Brisbane people 20 years on, a lot of fans and people around the club, you can still see them sort of wince a little bit when you talk about 2004. And they just won three in a row. <laughs> like Look, Lee Matthews is still dirty about it. This is it. what I mean, right? And that, that guy's, the you know, won, what, eight, four, four as a player, four as a cut, and he's still dirty about 2004. And and so, unfortunately, this is now in our story. This, this is yeah. now, in 20 years' time, people are going to say, oh, 2023. Now- the hope is they'll say, and look what followed as a result yeah. of that pain. But it's just, um, I just, Don't know. I keep thinking, Mike, I keep thinking, I wish I could go back in time, sort of freeze time <laughs> at the moment Lockie gets the free kick. Just say, hey, Lock, you got a kick. Zach, don't kick it. Yeah. And how are we going to do this, guys? Because, you know, it was it was so close to, if it had gone the other way, if that had worked out, it would have been one of the greatest grand final wins of all time. And you and I wouldn't. I would not have yeah. a voice right now as we were recording. It would have been a wild night of fun and You'd celebrations. Like, and they were two goals down with two minutes to go and pulled it out. Yeah. And out. They, that's never happened. <laughs> and that wasn't off the cards. Of course it wasn't. If Lockie takes that free kick, he puts yeah. it to the top of the goal square and who knows what happens. Maybe Hippie has his moment or a, or Joe, Joe cements it, you know. Joe takes a big mark or it just comes down and Charlie <sighs> snaps it or there's a stoppage. Who knows? Or maybe Darcy Moore bloody has a Leo Barry moment. Like we yes. don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. We don't know what's. So, and, it, and it hasn't happened, so that's it. They, they had a chance. Even Zach's hurried kick, that went to a contest. Mm. I think Collingwood spoiled it. Nick Dacos got it and cleared it. So it's Brisbane still had their chance, even though it yeah. was we, – we might as well get to it. Why don't we just go to that now, that decision? Yep. Like it was just a poor decision. Like yep. uh, It was a poor umpiring decision or an interpretation of the advantage rule. Mm. Umpires, and I've read some stuff online, like technically Brisbane went forward – and took an advantage and how's the umpire to know whether Zach Bailey heard a whistle or not. Mm. He, he, the umpire can't judge that whether he's heard it. So he's seen Zach take a kick and play on. Clearly common sense shows that he didn't hear it because he's not going to take a kick over his head <laughs> as an advantage, not seeing where he's going. But the common sense part is how many times have we seen those kicks just call back, no advantage, come back. Or yes. there's a the ball spilled free and gone and there's clearly no advantage and it's come back. So that was just a, a poor decision. It's not it's it's not what cost Brisbane, but it cost them a better opportunity, I guess. Well the, it cost the question them a cleaner opportunity to go forward. To play devil's advocate for a moment, I agree with you, although if Zach's kick had been marked by Danaher, if he'd gone straight to Joe and he'd taken a chest yep. mark and then they'd called it back. Yeah. I think, you know, we would be burning down the MCG right now if, yep. uh, if that had been that's taken That's what off. I mean. So, I think it was a poor decision, but Brisbane still had the opportunity. Well, and that's, that's what the I mean, point. Yeah. It went to a contest. Um, yeah. 
But it was, I think, I mean, ultimately, I think it was a poor interpretation of the rule. And maybe that's the rule that needs tinkering. I don't know. It's a very hard rule, that one, the advantage rule. It is. It players is take the you know what with it all the time. As soon as that, often when players hear a whistle mm. and they've got the ball, they'll just roll the dice. Yes. And we saw it with Patrick Cripps last week. He heard a whistle and just rolled the dice, and it was a free kick to Oscar McInerney. And in that instance, he gave away 50 metres, mm. and McInerney came down and kicked the goal. But often players won't get pinged for that mm. because, of, oh, well, I didn't know who it was for. And anyway, so like a, it's a difficult rule. It's not what cost Brisbane, but I think they might have had a better opportunity if common sense prevailed. Well, what did you make of the umpiring for the rest of the day? Oh, uh, I, I do. <laughs> Okay, so I've got a couple of things here. I definitely want to go back and watch it. Yeah. The I've I did rewatch the last quarter this morning just before I come to chat to you, but there wasn't a lot of controversy in the last quarter aside from that that advantage call for Bailey. But I did think there was a lot of ordinary decisions throughout the match. Uh, notably, the two. If you're looking through Brisbane's glasses, the first mm. quarter they missed two. There was a couple of t terrible decisions against Brisbane. Zorko was taken around his head. And I know he was somewhat playing for it a bit, but it was still a high tackle. And, and they paid those to Dacos. And they did pay those to Dacos, who was also playing for them. Mm. Uh, Zorko got his, you know, head half taken off and wasn't paid. So that was, and that was fairly adjacent to goal from memory, 25 out on a bit of an angle. I'm not saying it was a gimme. Zork's not the greatest set shot. Uh, but the really poor one. That was poor, but the really poor one was Mason Cox holding the mm. ball basically at the top of the goal square, and it was a really bad miss. So maybe there's some umpires listening to this thinking I'm an absolute idiot for for saying this and that it was the other way, and I'll have to go back and watch it, but they were a couple of poor ones because they're within goal scoring range. Uh, but in saying that, I thought the 50 to McCluggage in the third quarter, uh, Hugh McCluggage got given a 50-metre penalty on the wing that brought him to within set shot range, and he kicked it. That was not a 50 meter penalty mm. i think it was mark i think it was oleg markov that was on the mark yep. and clearly was just backing up off the mark straight away and the umpire pinged him for not standing um so that was poor it went both ways but yeah the, brisbane would have a moments to feel aggrieved for sure but i thought there was some it's a bloody hard game it is a really hard game to umpire but yeah there's four on the field now and these were some pretty clear decisions made in open play i thought yeah not not at the bottom of packs that were hard to see yeah I, the mason cox one was right in front of where i was sitting and it was sort of uh, like bizarre like to the point i think i started applauding for the holding the ball and then realized nothing had been paid there's sort of a what's how has nothing been paid there sort of a moment but and that's it that one was a gimme goal top of the goal yeah. square wasn't it 15 meters out maybe yeah, yeah. Anyway. so and look this is if it, if it is a normal home and away season match, you probably just go, oh, well, you move on. These things happen. Yep. It's because it's in a grand final that it's amplified and you carry it for a yep. long time. You know, you, you're meant to have the best umpires out there and you've got, in that instance, two or three of them circling the pack, seeing Mason Cox just drop the ball cold. And yep. um, Anyway, look, at the end of the day, you can send yourself mad going through all you the, the what-ifs. tell you what, Brisbane's players made a ton of mistakes as well. So Yeah. Those late quarter goals that Collingwood kicked on the quarter time and half time siren, like absolute killers. The, yeah, the yeah. red time generally was just a, a killer for Brisbane. Yep. Those, um, was quarter time, quarter time was Dugowie's. Yeah. And crisp. Yeah. So quarter time was Dugowie's. And that was, that was from, um, 
oh, I'm getting my I'm getting my moments confused here. That was from Cam Rayner's clearing kick. Mm. Cam Rayner's clearing kick was really poor. Uh, he was trying to go more towards the boundary. It came off the side of his foot, went to a couple of Collingwood players who hit up Dugowie, and then Dugowie popped it from 55. So that was really just poor execution. And then I can't quite remember how Crisps uh, – well, no, no, that might have been crisps, actually. Yeah, yeah I think that it might was. have been crisps. I think it was, yeah. yeah, I can't remember. Anyway, that was one of them, uh, and I can't remember how the other one unfolded. But yeah, closing out quarters, not not good. And mm. yeah, when the game's that tight, God, yeah, there'll yeah. be a lot of players having some waking up a bit over this uh, <laughs> over the off season. And look, it's one of those things where it's pivotally different. To you look at Adelaide twenty seventeen or, or GWS twenty nineteen, Sydney last year. Teams who seemed overawed by the occasion and never really played their best on the day. I don't think that was true of Brisbane. Not at all. um, They absolutely rose to the occasion, which is partially this weird thing where it makes you proud, but also just absolute gut punched. We really could have done it. Um, It it, it would have been a steal though. And this is the, you might not want to name the player because it might've been off the record, but you mentioned that one of the Lions um, reserves players did make a comment to you as you walked into the rooms about, Mm. it was pretty philosophical comment straight away. Yeah, it was. Yeah. And I think that was generally, yeah, he said to me that he thought, he said, you know, Collingwood had 70, they spent, I mean, these aren't official statistics, but he said, you know, Collingwood was in the front half 70% of the time. It probably would have been a steal if if we won it. So, Mm. and I think I bumped into a bunch of the players in the rooms and they were very quick chats. They weren't necessarily on the record. And that was the general sentiment where they thought we were slightly outplayed that was from mm. the players and but i think they all thought they acquitted themselves well but uh, they were just slightly outplayed and a lot of the numbers were pretty even i think the stoppages were about even the contested ball was about even so when the ball was in dispute brisbane was really good they weren't yeah overawed or out uh, worked at the at the contest but chris fagan said it pretty well he said that uh, Collingwood's clearances were just a bit cleaner and they could get the ball forward more. And that's like the clearance numbers were even. Collingwood's were just a bit cleaner and that's how they got into the front half all the time and they were able to keep it in that front half. I, I tell you, I've got to pay credit to Collingwood for a lot of things. They won the premiership mm-hmm. and, and deserved it. They were front runners all season, had a target on their back all season and, and got the job done in three really tight finals. But defensively, they were really, really well set up. I think a lot of people would be looking, thinking, where was that uh, run and dare from McKenna? Or why why couldn't Kitty take the corridor more often? Or where was Darcy Wilmot? I'm like yeah, every time yeah. Brisbane won the ball in the back half of the ground, just being at the ground, and I had a good vantage point of this, like, and Chris Fagan said, maybe they could have been a bit braver with their ball movement, but Collingwood shut off those 45 kicks. They were really well set up defensively. It was difficult to move the ball quickly against them. They were they were on. And when I went back and watched that last quarter, there was even a couple of times where I thought, could uh, maybe a Harris Andrews have looked inboard a bit more? I thought, oh, no, no, Collingwood was onto that the whole game. So yeah, yeah. real credit to them for, for doing that. They made it difficult for Brisbane. They did. Um, look, we, we got some Royal Deal medal votes to give in a moment and to award the Royal Deal medal. And then I, I want to have a chat about the off-season and season 2024 and sort of end on a, on an uplift, you know, because that's what you got to do. you got to, you know, leave that in the past. Um, Just got to take the learnings, Dom. Oh. Take, you got to take them. Chris Fagan gave Chris that was, dropped. He dropped one in the press conference. And that was the worst part of the day for you, wasn't yeah, it? It was, <laughs> yep. yep. <laughs> I mean, and look. No, I let it slide. I'm like, okay, I'll let it slide, Fags. I know you're in a 
slightly <laughs> emotional state at the moment. So yeah, well, and you know, it's interesting when we had Lee Matthews on the show um, at the beginning of the year. He said that the morning after a premiership, he'd wake up and the ecstasy euphoria is gone and he's thinking about next year. So let's take the Lee Matthews approach. The heartbreak's gone and we're thinking about next year already on that front. And besides, we got the win that we really wanted to yesterday with Richie getting the longest kick across the Yarra. Yeah. I mean, that's what we all, that's the one we, that's the big one, right? Mate, I thought maybe Richie was fit enough to play. I thought the old (laughs) hammies and quads would have been too, too short and too tight to really let go with those long kicks. Yeah. (laughs) It was a pretty special moment when he was doing the retiree lap around the the G and and having the Lions fans there to cheer him on. So still bizarre to think he won't be there next year. He's been such a a part of the It will be weird, actually. Yeah. For so long that they even just seen him strutting around training with his cap on and his hair yeah. out the back and he's he's always a guy that wears a cap at training and he's got the you know the long flowing hair and and the short sort of stout uh physical appearance that he's got like he's so distinctive and yeah. it will be weird to not see that next year um but but look I, I wanted to just before we do leave the grand final behind us and um and probably try to never talk about it again uh i wanted to to touch on a couple of the the good moments because when you can come up against there was a lot of good moments. Oh, there were heaps of them. And the goal kicking early on. I mean, so often we've seen teams who haven't made a grand final in a long time get in and they're overawed by the occasion and they miss some sitters. And, um, you know, before you know it, you're, you're two goals, seven, and suddenly mm. the day falls apart. Instead, Brisbane looked like this clinical team that was used to the day that had played a heap of grand finals and that weren't at all overawed by the occasion. And we've got to start um, with what I'm calling vindication for a multi-year love fest. <laughs> um, Zach Bailey's two goals there in the in the first quarter. The first, I, I know everyone's saying the second was possibly goal of the year material almost in, in another season, but the first was incredible as well on the run. Both yeah. of them by Zach. Just uh, this has been what I loved about Zach the whole way through is, is he is that sort of big game player who isn't overawed by the occasion no. and and to be sitting at that end, as I mentioned to you, Mike, it was my my 30th birthday yesterday and what a way that ended anyway. Um, but I'm sitting there and I'm thinking Zach's doing it for what a birthday present yeah. from Zach. <laughs> yeah. Look at this. But they, they were both just extraordinary goals. And, and if were. anyone in the competition wasn't quite sure of how talented Zach Bailey was, I think they know now. Yeah, that first one, I thought he was going to go left foot and then he realized, hang on, I've actually got time to get onto my right foot here and have a mm, ping. Yeah. So that was it. That was an incredible goal. But that second one, it was just the whole passage of play, obviously. It wasn't just the finish, which in yes. itself was yeah. spectacular, but to execute the smother, to then once Joe, I don't know what Joe was doing. He was just doing Joe things, picking up the ball <laughs> and trying to run over Isaac Quainer or something. <laughs> and then he got the handball free. Zach just looked like, I was thinking, where are you going, mate? You're just going to run over the boundary line, are you? And no, he stepped Murphy and ran around Cox and snapped it and I'm like, God, that is ridiculous. Funny that most of Brisbane's, I think I looked at halftime, maybe halftime or maybe it might have even been in the third quarter. I can't remember when. And Brisbane had only taken two marks inside forward 50 mm. and they were eight or nine or 10 goals or something. And it just made me remember, oh yeah, all these remarkable goals were just from general play. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. maybe that alleviates some of the problems about the goal kicking that you talk about there. You're not standing there and we'll get to some I guess some fourth quarter misses that Brisbane had, but um, like the the set shots, you're not having time to think. Like Bailey's just going on instinct there. He's like, how am I going to get myself out of trouble? This is how I'm going to finish. McCarthy's on the run from 50 was, 
I'd almost expect him to kick that in the first quarter, but it's a very nice finish. And then his goal in the second quarter from the pocket, that is mm. that was a special finish as well. So yeah, that was. Yeah, it was all these it was all these goals in general play rather than having to go back and settle yourself and and kick it with a set shot. And and <clears throat> oh gosh, the emotions are still getting me Mike a day on. Yeah, I know. But um <laughs> But no, that's the, what happens when you turn 30, mate. <laughs> Things start breaking down. All downhill from here. Um, but I, I do think like about one of the, the real tragedies or real shames of all of this is, you know, obviously we're not going to want to watch this this game back many times in our lives. If the Lions had clinched the win at the end, those Zach Bailey goals and the link goal, they're things of folklore for, mm. for decades to come. And instead, uh, they sort of just get pushed off to the side, not to be thought too much about going forward, unfortunately, until – you know, Zach steps up and, and does it again next year yeah. in, our, in, our, in our flag. But um, we move to the, the second quarter and obviously quarter time, uh, the MCG, the, the you know, the what is it, vote for the karaoke song or the, yeah. the, the song to play around the, the, the G and Country Roads wins in a landslide. We get a sing-along going and then manifest 20 seconds later into the, the second quarter, Charlie getting his first goal for the game. That was a... And then an acapella version of Country Roads does break out. That was a pretty special moment. That was amazing. Yeah. Had he had not had not touched the ball in the first quarter. Mm. I mean, the ball hadn't been down there much, but he did not have a disposal in the first quarter. Charlie Cameron, Country Roads plays, and yeah, like you say, like literally the first what was it twenty seconds, maybe thirty at the most into the second quarter. Bang, left foot snap, goal. A couple of minutes later, bang, second goal. And you're like, this is ridiculous, this little Country Roads Charlie Cameron thing. Mm. We know what it does for the Gabba crowd, but to then, yeah, like you say, basically manifest itself at the MCG on grand final day, that was a pretty amazing moment. Pretty special. Yeah. And then not long later. the uh, crowd, And just credit to the crowd there. The crowd actually yep. got rolling when that song, like they, I know we've sort of, try to get the ball rolling on the podcast here uh, to get Country Roads going if Charlie kicked the goal in the grand final. They got mm. it going. They did. It was, 100% did. It was amazing, actually. You could hear it. And people in the media box are going, wow, we could, like they're singing it. Yes. <laughs> it's going. It was so yeah. Yeah, it was so audible. It was pretty special. I think there was a bit of confusion about where we were starting and when we were starting. but It worked. But eventually. it worked. We got there yeah. in the end, yep. which was pretty special. And then um, and then you know it's your day when Hugh McCluggage is, is kicking goals. You know you're on when that's happening. And both of his goals were were pretty. I mean, he only just kicked them both, I think, but but they were both pretty um pretty brilliant goals yep. as well. And um and I think it was in the second quarter that we get up to a thirteen point lead yep. there at one yep. stage, and you start thinking Brisbane might actually do this. Mm. This is looking really really good, and and probably our best footy for the day was in that second quarter. Yep. yep. Um, it's just a shame that Collingwood also probably brought out their best footy for the day in the same quarter. Well, Brisbane started getting a little bit of space, it felt like, in that second quarter. There was a couple of end-to-end goal, or there was certainly one end-to-end goal I can remember, and the ball was just getting out into open space a lot more. And you thought, if it, if it keeps going like this, this will suit Brisbane because they love the space. They love to have an open forward line, and that gives that gives those small forwards – that dangerous for small forward trio time to time and space to work in Cameron mm. Bailey McCarthy and those three had impacts throughout the day but that's when they really got rolling and if, and I was with you I thought oh this is Brisbane's really put the foot down here I didn't think I, mean, I wasn't expecting them to run away with it but again Collingwood to their credit like they bounced back pretty quick that 13 point lead is around about danger zone time and another one or two and it starts becoming a major issue. But, yeah, to their credit, they hit back and hit back hard before halftime. And then at halftime, uh, the general sentiment 
is that's the best first half of AFL possibly ever. It's amazing. Like mm. going into the game, I mean, we weren't predicting scores. Like we were, but I, I sort of maybe if I was pinned to predict a score, it might have been about, you know, around 70 or 80 points each because yeah. Collingwood's yeah. so good defensively. Mm. And I know Brisbane's a very good attack, but I thought, and at half time, we were, we were <laughs> almost, almost there. there. Yeah, I know. Thought, what is going on here? The, yeah. And Brisbane def- has defended so well this year as well. I thought, what is going on? And it just doesn't happen in grand finals. No. We just haven't seen grand finals become shootouts. And it wasn't like there was no pressure. No. There was a ton of pressure. It was just this, the high end skill finishing, I think. And mm. yeah, it was a remarkable first half. I think I read somewhere that it was the highest scoring first half since the 89 grand final, which is yeah. gone down in folklore as one of the great. Well, they continued it in 89 <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. for the entire match. But it, yeah, it was a remarkable first half. And, and then we get into the, the second half. And it was interesting when, when both sides ran out. My first thought was they both looked tired. Yeah. At the, before the second half began, uh, they both looked pretty Tom, tired. I looked around after 15 minutes, and I know the start of games are, are a bit different, but mm. there was so many guys with hands on knees yeah. after yeah. like halfway through the first quarter. I thought, it was oh, hot. This is going to be a long day. Well, you were sitting in the sun. Yeah. <laughs> you <laughs> tell me. <laughs> uh, well, it was, I'll say it was so hot, Mike, that after Lions goals, I'd stand up to celebrate and feel a bit lightheaded just standing up in the, yeah. in the heat of it all. So I don't know if that was partially also the, the pressure and anxiety of the day, but um, but it was it was bloody hot out there in the sun. And so um, I saw it, you know, they're doing their warm-ups both sides for, for the second half. A lot of hands on hips already. And, yeah. and, um, and you know, especially because it's a longer halftime break in a grand finals. What, 30 minutes, I think? 30, I, I don't know how more. long it was, yeah. But it's, it's, it's a bit longer. 10 or 15 minutes longer than your usual halftime break. And I reckon that zapped both of the teams a little bit after being in the sun, you know, playing that very intense first half. And so then we move into the third quarter, which immediately the the pace of the game changes. Yep. And as you mentioned, it was an arm wrestle now from this point on. Real slog. And, um, and sort of went kind of goal for goal for a bit. Brisbane were holding themselves in there. and Well, there was hardly any goals. That was the well, thing. I think yes. Hughes' goal set shot in the third quarter. There wasn't much happening, but it was mm. – but, yeah, the margin kept about the same. Like it was always within a goal pretty much, wasn't it, th- through that third quarter. Yeah, and then, and then we get to three-quarter time. And, um, and at this juncture, I, I think sitting there at the G at three-quarter time knowing we are – in this game, up to our next, we are we are a real chance of winning this grand final. And in the next half hour, either the the best uh, thing I've ever seen as a Lions fan or the worst thing I've ever seen yeah. as a Lions fan is going to happen. The stakes just being that in, insanely high. I, I'll be honest, Mike. It was one of the most uh, overwhelming emotional experiences to sit there going. You know, having no control over the outcome. I can't imagine how Chris Fagan feels in those moments. Yeah. Going, something's going to happen here and it's either going to be the very best or the very worst. And as the fourth quarter played out, it, it started to look like it was Collingwood's day. I think about 15 minutes in, I turned to my dad and said, I don't think we're winning this. And then it was only Charlie's goal that, because somehow we stayed just within a goal and, and yeah. Charlie's goal that put us ahead. And then the dreaming begins. Well, you felt... Both teams were getting tired, yes. But I think they were both getting tight as well because yes. Bobby Hill, who was the deserving Norm Smith medalist, he missed a set shot from straight in front, maybe 40, 45 meters out, mm. uh, or there was a day cost snap that somehow nearly went through. It was ridiculous, actually. Harris Andrews touched it on the line. Uh, I can't remember if they had any other set shots there, but they had, basically there was a couple of set shots for Collingwood. And then Brisbane had their chances as well. Danaher, Joe Danaher missed a set shot from maybe 35 metres out. Very kickable. Probably should have kicked it. 
Hippie had one from 50 or 52 maybe and pulled it. And Kitty Coleman had one on the run from 50, which I probably would have backed him to kick. Mm. It was straight in front. He had time to line it up. He actually had a chance to hit Joe Danaher just near the top of the goal square, but I'm not super critical of that. I thought he had a pretty good look. That, so both teams had their chances, but no one could sort of deliver the punch until Charlie had his moment. And it was just a clean one-on-one win over Maynard. Mm. Pushed him off. Like, Maynard's strong. Charlie just pushed away from him, kept his feet, dribbled the ball clear, and, of course, picked it up and snapped it, which was not easy. He makes no. it look really easy. But no. um, that was a great finish and put, put Brisbane in front. Five and a half minutes to go, I think. and But the teams were very tired and it just became this contest where it was how many times were you seeing the ball at a stoppage and this is to Chris Fagan's point and mm. it was just the old dump kick surge kick hack kick whatever you want to call it forward Collingwood was just quicker yeah like they were just yep. quicker to react and the amount of times hippie had trailing Jeremy Howe to a ball or Collingwood defenders just often read it a bit quicker but Brisbane's but when you look back at it Brisbane we're in the lead with five and a half minutes to go in a grand final. You say that at the start of any season, any game, any whatever, and you're taking that, aren't you? Like you've you given are. yourself the uh, as good a chance as you could have. And and probably the most disappointing part of the whole day for me was the stoppage right after Charlie's goal, where you. you I rewatched had, it a couple of times oh, too. Brisbane worked so bloody hard to get themselves back in front, and then immediately concede uh, a goal to Jordan Dugowie, who who yep. slots it through and, and puts Collingwood back in the lead. So you've rewatched it. T- I talk have. me through that stoppage. So I'm not going to be. I don't want this to come across as critical on these players, but I just yep. watched. How did these? So the ball goes forward. Scott Pendlebury gets the clearance, which is, you know, that that can happen. <laughs> he's, yep, he's a pretty yep. good player. He kicked it forward to about 45 in a big contest. Darcy Gardner got the fist in, spoiled it. And then Nick Dacos was the guy that uh, we could see. Everyone at the stadium could see that Nick Dacos was going to get that spoil. It was a pretty high spoil. Nick Dacos was the only one there. He got the spoil. He got the spoil and hand passed it to Jordan Degoe in one motion, and Degoe kicked the goal from fifty. But I, I thought, how did Nick Dacos get free, and how did Jordan Degoe get free? Like that's mm-hmm. from a centre bounce. They were both in at the centre bounce. Now Nick Dacos was uh, Lockie Neal's man. If we're assigning that, yeah, that's yeah, that's yeah. who they lined up next to, and Josh Dunkley was on Jordan Degoe. I think Lockie was a little bit ball watching. And Nick Dacos, as soon as Nick Dacos saw it in Scott Pendlebury's hands, he just jumped forward. He just ran forward and Lockie trailed him. Mm. Uh, and then Josh Dunkley actually slipped when Jordan Dugowie took off. Mm. So Jordan Dugowie, uh, so he lost a few metres on him straight away and there was just no handover. So it's funny. It was literally like a split second for each guy. I reckon Lockie yeah, would look yeah. at that and go, I just looked at the ball for half a second too long. And didn't read that Pendlebury was getting it, and then Josh Dunkley would think, "I didn't keep my feet," and Jordan Degoe got out the front. And it's just that <laughs> is that mm. finer margin between, you know, having pressure on those guys and not. Degoe's kick must have come almost straight towards your seat. Yes, it did. It did. Yeah. Uh, there was, there was. I don't know if it was that one or or side bottom. Side bottom. So well, they both came straight towards you, didn't they? One of them, Almost, one of them yeah. was two rows in front. Marked two rows in front, I think. So it was uh, certainly De, an. Degoe's kick, you could not. I mean, both of those kicks, you could not strike any better. The goal umpire just was right in the middle of the goals, and just like 
rocked his head back to watch yeah, it go over yeah. his head. And I thought, oh, my God, he's kicked out from 50 and it's just, just <laughs> sailing over the goal umpire's head. Yeah, no, completely agree. It was it was just one of those big moments where, um, and this is what I mean, the players who've known grand final heartbreak just stood up in, in those uh, those encounters. And, I mean, then probably the, the, I mean, I say the most disappointing thing was that stoppage. I think a lot of Lions fans would say the most disappointing moment came a bit later where uh, Jared Berry just, Gives away something you mentioned already. He'll yeah. he'll feel sick about. He this. will. There's, he he gives away, and it was so obvious that he'd done it. Yeah, it gives away this there free, is this no controversy meter. over this decision. <laughs> no, just gives away this fifty meter penalty to to steal side bottom who runs forward and and you know no one would have thought he'd kick it from there, but he does. I, I would love to know what Pies fans thought. Yeah, yeah. Like when he was kicking, how many of them gave him a chance? That's fifty three, fifty four meters, yeah. maybe. I mean, the mark was on the 50, so maybe 52, 53. And he ran a tiny arc, but not really. It's not like he crept up much. He still kicked it from 53, 52. I I certainly didn't expect him. It was an incredible goal. And you've got to take your hat off to him. Like That's that's an unbelievable kick. We're talking about how tired players are. Mm. And I actually think that might have, you know, does that play a factor in what Berry does? Because Berry just has to, when side bottom marks it, Berry's just really just got to wrap him up. And then just get back on the mark. And that's enough to slow it down for one second and not give away a 50. But the fact he dragged him to ground, you think, mate, are you tired? Like maybe Jared Berry's just tired and just thinks, oh, I'm just dragging him down. Like that's just a mistake under fatigue. But for side bottom to kick that, you know, with four minutes left in a grand final after running as much as I'm sure he did, he plays on the wing. uh, That's an incredible, that's an incredible goal. Yep, and I think it's it, that's maybe one of the bigger what if moments of the day. If Bez doesn't give that away, yeah, yeah, um, what happens? And, then? and again, that changes what happens from then on. Yep, really, yep. it does. Like that's not to say that you can't butterfly just say, effect. Hey? Yeah, exactly. You can't just say, "Oh, Joe kicks the match-winning goal." It just doesn't no. work like that. But no, but then look, it made the, it hard for Brisbane. Ball does get down the other end. Some brilliant work in tight from JL and Hugh gets the ball to Joe. Hugh McCluggies, that was yeah, that was working in the phone box that was how he kept the ball in and and then just the presence of mind to not just keep the ball in but just to spot i don't know if he spotted joe or he just saw the jumpers in the middle and thought i'm squaring it yeah and he hit him on the chest and bang joe finished it It was and there was still 90 seconds left well and and that's where there's enough time you start to think this could be one of the epics i mean it already is but it could go to a whole new level here and and then i think bez gets that next clearance uh straight after that just Isaac Quainer again inches in this. Yeah. Isaac Quainer just gets his jumper or his shorts mm. and it just it just pulls Bez off the kick a little bit and it yeah. sort of hits the outside of Barry's boot. Instead of getting a deep entry inside 50, it just sort of comes off the outside because of the pressure from Quainer. So mm. again, just those inches and just those moments. Yeah. And then the famous advantage moment we've spoken yeah. about happens and from that point onwards, I mean, Harris, I think, takes an intercept mark and tries to turn it around, but then it comes back again, yeah. and and then it's all over from that point onwards. And and um, I don't know. This is, I mean, this is the thing with with being emotionally invested in sports, Mike. Is you you know what you're signing up for at the beginning. You know that this is always one of the possibilities that can happen in in you know being a, a fan of any sport is that you can have your heart broken, and um. It, it will take some time probably for all of us for it to quite sink in exactly what actually happened and the opportunity lost. The, the small consolation probably is thinking that, that Collingwood were the better side. I mean, not not drastically. No. But they were the better Just side. Just enough. 
And and so, you know, if we had been the better side but missed a lot of, a lot of opportunities and lost it like that, that had really hurt. Um, but, yeah, there is a – I don't know. I mean, you take us into Chris Fagan's mindset. You've known this man pretty well for a bunch of years now through um, all that you've had to do with him. What do you think he would have said to the playing group after the match and, and today and, and going forward? What do you think the narrative will be? I actually reckon that – I think anyone – I. I I would imagine that most people that listen to our podcast probably have watched his press conference or if they haven't, they will mm. watch it or will read the words that he said. And I, I think that's pretty much the message he delivers to the players. And he said oh, he said something along the lines of, you, you guys know how I'm going to deal with this. I'm going to try and look at what went wrong. We're going to try and learn from it and we're going to try and improve and I'm never going to veer away from that. Mm. That's the way he's been since day one. When I spoke to Ryan Lester during the week, in the lead up to the game and asked about Chris Fagan's influence and Chris Fagan, like why the team was able to, you know, improve under Chris Fagan. And he said, oh, you know, things like the first year he came in, we conceded, I think, 132 points a game in 2016. And then in 2017 under Fags, they conceded 114, which was still last in the competition. But he said he could just, he sold us this improvement. We had this metric and this, way to improve so from day one that's been his whole thing let's learn from something figure out a way forward get better and improve and as simplistic as it sounds that's the way he'll approach this he'll try and figure out what went wrong what brisbane can do better and how they can fix it for next year and that's the message he'll sell he's not really a negative guy he's more of you he's always a glass half full sort of character fags and I think that's ultimately why I've got a reasonable relationship with him because generally that's how I see things in life as well and mm. and that's how he'll be with his players and, and I'm sure they they'll be gutted and they'll 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 go through what went wrong. Harris Andrews said after the match that's what we've done so well. We don't sweep this under the rug and pretend it didn't happen else we'd never learn. Mm. We've we're going to have to look at it. We're going to have to learn from it. we're going to have to deal with it. And then we're going to have to figure out the path forward to improvement. So, and that'll be individually how they all improve, as we touched on earlier in the in the episode, or and collectively how they get better. So, yeah, I, I think that's how they'll approach the next their off season and their preseason. Chris Fagan is a coach who loves themes and narratives, and we've mm. heard about the documentaries he's shown yeah. or things like that. What do you think the odds are that he gets Luke Hodge in to talk to the group about 2012 yeah. and what followed in this offseason? Because I, I dare say if it's day one of the offseason or the preseason and you got all the players in a room and you showed the last 10 minutes of the 2012 grand final yep. and then got Hodge to say, here's how we were feeling and here's what happened next, that'd be a pretty good um, inspirational moment. And I think Hodge would be up for that. Yep. Yeah, you'd watch, you'd get them watching Nick Malcheski kick the match ceiling goal for Sydney at the end of 2012 and the Swans jumping all over him and celebrating. And, and Hodge then, sinking to the ground. Exactly. Yeah. And then, hey, guys, we we came back. Maybe even, I mean, you just have to ask Jack Gunston what that was like. Yes. Jack Gunston at that stage didn't have a premiership in his back pocket like mm. Hodgie did from 2008. So what does Jack Gunston feel like in 2012 when – his first opportunity. He he was the he was the Cam Rayner and the Hugh McCluggage of that team. The guy in year four, five, or six, or whatever year um, Jack Gunston was in. And man, we've just lost our first grand final, and we've got to climb this mountain again. So Jack Gunston mm. will have a really nice lens on it as well. So yeah, you you're probably right, man. It's well, a really good point. And I do remember hearing Hodgie speak 
uh, on Jared Waitley's SEN show. My new friend Jared, who I ran into at the G Grand Final day. Um, How'd you bail him up? What, uh, what was your um, What was your tactic? Well, I'd met Jared once a bunch of years ago. The odds I knew he would. Surely remember he remembered that. you. Yeah. <laughs> Surely he came to well, you. Right? Actually, do you want to know? A funny hey, Dom, story? <laughs> can I get a photo? <laughs> do you know it's funny, Mike? I've never shared this story, but I I know a couple of people at Fox Footy, um, including. They're uh, one of the producers of AFL 360 is a listener to the raw deal. So we got a bit of a connection at Fox footy there. And um, Anthony's his name, who I was emailing with about the country roads as the, yeah, the music yeah, and a yeah, montage. Yeah. So we'll save that for next year, Anthony. But um, I was emailing with Tim Hodges, who's their executive producer. This would have been 2015, 16, 17, somewhere back then. And I said, oh, I'm a big fan of Jared's. I'd love, is there any chance I could have a, a catch up with him? Cause I think I was coming in to watch a taping of 360 yeah. and I wanted to just, Ask Jared some questions about footy media and Tim set it up. So Jared and I caught up for maybe half an hour or so. And I mentioned to him sort of this vision of what's ended up happening with the raw deal of this, yeah. this hope that we could create this home for Brisbane Lions fans, something like that. And he said, well, it's a great idea, but it's a, a bit niche. Is there going to be enough interest in that for it to actually become anything? Jared, that's what podcasting <laughs> is, my friend. It's niche. <laughs> well, it's funny. I mean, this was, in Jared's defense, this might have been as far back as 2015. It might have yep. been a bit earlier, the piece for that. But um, that was my one interaction with Jared. He was very lovely and spoke a bit about growing up as a, he was a Fitzroy fan as a kid before he jumped onto the Cats. And so he said he had a soft spot for the club and, Obviously, no recollection of any of that when I bail him up at the at the G yesterday. But um, imagine that <laughs> Brisbane Lions podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but that was a, that was a, a moment. I can't even remember why I, I brought the Jared Waitley thing up just then. There was a there was a tangent I was going on to. No, I liked, I was I going liked, on to, I liked that tangent better. <laughs> that, we got there in the end. Um, but uh, I'll let you know if it does if it does come back to me. But uh, I did think, Mike, that. Um, before we move on and chat about everything that happens from here, we obviously have to don the tuxedos Ooh. now. This is the big ceremony event. The- Got to change out of jeans into black tie. <laughs> <laughs> and give our votes in the Royal Deal Medal. just remembered what the tangent was by the way so let's come back to the i know we're in the ballroom sorry everybody <laughs> we'll get to the votes at the moment i was saying i heard hodgie on jared waitley's show that was it uh, a little while ago and he said he doesn't think they win the three pete if they don't lose 2012 he said we might have won one of them but that was the fuel that drove us to the three pete so um and certainly if we can have a three pete again with a grand final loss involved like the early 2000s i'd rather the loss come first not at the end yeah because <laughs> I think that's part of the bitterness of 04 is it's the aftertaste. Yeah. You want to end on a flag. But anyway, uh, we'll see what happens. We'll all celebrate together in 2026. Oh, I'm nervous about these votes, Dom. It's I thought it was deal, really hey? hard. It, it was, was hard. hard. It was hard. And there's so many points up for grabs. Well, this is it. It's uh, quadrupled. So one becomes Ooh. four, two becomes eight, and three becomes 12. Uh, I will go with my four voter. And I uh, am delighted to be able to give this guy four votes in a grand final performance. It is Zach Bailey. I thought he had, obviously those two first quarter quarter goals were pivotal in keeping Brisbane, you know, in the game and, and, you know, making it very much a contest. But some of his pressure acts through the course of the game were just phenomenal as well. And um, I mean, there's no bigger stage to make your name and make a reputation for yourself than a grand final. And as I said, I think, um, I think there'd be a lot of people in the footy world who still hadn't quite seen for themselves the sort of player Zach Bailey could be. And they've seen that now. And I mean, I, I think Zach on the whole 
probably had a more of a down season than I'd anticipated. I thought yeah. he would have had a better overall year. I mean, yep. I think some of us thought he, he could crack all Australia yeah, this year. Yeah, yeah. And, and he, he didn't have that sort of a season. But after that grand final, and what's he now, 24, I think? He's just turned yep. 24. I think 2024 is going to be the year of Zach Bailey. So They're, they're the guys, aren't they? Yep. It's that class. It's the Zach. It's the Cam Rayner. Yep. Starsevich, obviously, in the same draft. It's that yeah. ilk of player that you – you can still you can go to another level, boys. Yes. Zach should be aiming to be an All Australian squad member. I mean, team member would be, a, but he should be aiming. That's your goal, mate. You should be mm. like he's a he's like that's a Tom Papley. You should be a Tom Papley, and Tom Papley's made All Australian before. Uh, a high half forward who can work up the ground and go back, and then come into the midfield occasionally and impact from centre bounce. So. Mm. Yeah, I'm with you. That was great. I mean, it's not the way I went for mine, but I can totally get on board with that as, as being your four voter. So give me your four. I points. went Kitty Coleman, and I don't know if you've got him in your votes or not, but um, I went Kitty Coleman, didn't I? Yes, yeah, you did, yeah, I did. Sorry, I, I gave <laughs> these beforehand. So Kitty, I thought amazing first half, a ton of the ball, not quite the impact of last week, I, I will say. Like there was. Mm. I think a lot of people, or just the general feeling I got from speaking to other people in the media box and other stuff I'd read, people might have got seduced by the big numbers in the first half. And But I thought he was still very important and he won the ball back a bunch of times for Brisbane and he was still a guy that looked very composed out there and was taking the right options. He just missed a couple of kicks that you might hope he'd pull off, but that's... You know, that goes with the territory of being a, a guy that's sort of going to take an aggressive option every now and then. So I don't know how many, I think he ended up with 28 disposals or 26 or so or thereabouts. So I still liked his impact. I thought the numbers were a little inflated, but I still liked his impact and his and his overall game. So I gave him the the four. No, I totally agree. He's got my eight for the same reason. And um, he possibly will win the, the- the, clubs, the club has an award for best finals. They do. Though, don't they? The yeah, that, that'll be an interesting award in itself, actually. Because he could well take that out. Yep. Um, he, he stood up in a big way, and he's another one who you look at 2024 and go, if he can do what he did in the last two games more consistently, that's massive for, for Brisbane's premiership credentials. Yeah. Um, so that's a, a massive one for Kitty. So he's got my my eight votes. Who do you give the eight to? Huey. Yep. Hugh McCluggage. So probably just went out of the game a Fraction in the last quarter until his little moment of genius towards the end there. Loved his work rate. Really loved his work rate, actually. I thought he had great intensity. Kicked his couple of goals, which is not his strength. Um, got a, got enough of the ball. He's always creative with the ball in hand. Uh, thought he was – yeah, I just thought he had a really good, solid all-around performance that he capped off with his finishing, which is – often the battle for him. So mm. I, I did find this match really hard to vote really on. Tricky. We say that often, but there was no head and shoulders best player. And I actually thought, thank I didn't have to do a match report yesterday, but if I had to give Brisbane's best six, I felt you could probably pick about five or six players that were pretty good. Yep. Yep. Maybe sort of, you know, seven out of 10 performances, mm. maybe an eight every, here and there, but not those real standouts that made it a bit easier to to differentiate them in our voting here. 
Yeah, and no, I think that's that's true. And there's probably a bunch of players. I mean, Hugh was around the mark for me. Harris was around the Harris mark. Harris was around the mark um, for Link, me too. Link was around the mark probably as well. Yeah. Um, and Charlie, uh, who, who did have a few big I moments. thought there was not a lot of guys playing 8 out of 10 and above, and there probably wasn't a lot of guys playing 4 out of 10 and below. There yes. was a lot of guys that were all right, yep. pretty good. Yep. Not great, not terrible. And you just needed a, you needed a few more to just take the next step with their game. Massive from Hugh, though, considering you got Lockie, two-time Brownlow medalist, and, and Dunkley there, and yep. Hugh was the best midfielder on the day, I think. So. For Brisbane, certainly, For Brisbane. yeah. So, yeah. Um, and then we get to the the 12 votes where – and this is something we both wrestled with, but I know we've both gone the same way here in the end. We've, we've gone with Joe Danaher, which we is have. And, massive. And it is massive, and I'm not I'm – not, um, I wouldn't say I'm not totally comfortable with it because I'm really impressed with his performance. I love the way he played. Mm. But it was, again, it was hard. It's hard to differentiate these guys. Why did you think he was Brisbane's best? Uh, I thought in almost every contest he had, he stood up and and was key. And there was obviously, I mean, he did have that that late miss, but his other set shots were great. His, and he got the goal late as well, the snap goal. But there was also the the dribble kick that set up Cal Archie and um, that got the ball. I think that was Dev's goal. that got the yeah. ball to Dev for the goal. Yep. But the thing about Joe that impressed me the most, it might have been his best game in the ruck, just about, I reckon. He was super competitive in there. And um, for a player who for years has been maligned in the media for being flaky or whatever else you might say, he he proved if he needed to prove his credentials anymore, he proved them as a big game player. And um, it, it's a really interesting one, Mike, because uh, I had a sense at the end there. I was like, imagine if Joe did take a mark and kick the winning mm. goal in the last 30 seconds. I mean, the Danaher name would, in Brisbane Lions folklore for, for, for history um, from that point onwards. So he, uh, it's one of those games again, where I think we know now that firstly, that it does matter to Joe more than uh, we, we sometimes see, as you mentioned at the end there, but, but also um, if you needed any further vindication of the club's decision to bring Joe in, which I don't think you do. I think that's long settled, but, um, but he really has become not just this X factor uh, talented key forward, but he's become a super reliable big moment player. He has so consistent, and for me, all I agree with all the points you said there. And also for me, he had Darcy Moore defending him, who was for most of the day or nearly the the, the entirety of the day. And Darcy Moore is a deserved All Australian uh, fullback or centre half back this year, a key defender, and and. Joey outplayed him. How many? Inter- I, I I don't have the numbers here. It's a, how many intercept marks did Darcy Moore take? I can't remember many, if any. Yeah, true. So he true. not only kept one of Collingwood's strengths away, but he also managed to impact himself with his three goals and and a couple of times I remember distinctly him being out of position and still getting the ball to ground in mm. one on twos. And you're right. I just don't see him. He got outmarked once or twice on the wing, like in back-to-back contests, right in front of where I was sitting in the um, watching the game from, on the wing. And I think it was Mason Cox and Darcy Cameron or Mason Cox and Jeremy Howe, almost two consecutive plays. And it was quite jarring because I thought, oh, I haven't seen Joe outmarked all day. <laughs> mm. And it happened twice in about 60 seconds, but that was it. Yeah. He was super competitive the rest of the game and very influential to Brisbane's performance. And I thought across the four quarters, he was about as – even and as consistent as any player on Brisbane's list. So pretty comfortable, pretty comfortable settling with him on the 12, although, yeah, it was, it was a hard decision. 
it has given us an incredible finish to the Raw Deal medal count for 2023, though, Mike. This year, we had 22 players poll votes in the Raw Deal medal. 22 players. 22 <laughs> players, which shows all- I can't believe- Sorry, I can't believe that. Isn't it? And I it, would have guessed about- 13 or something. Right. I think it shows what we've been saying all year about um, the evenness of the group. So I'll, I'll read the the 12, the bottom 12 uh, who didn't quite crack the top 10. We had Connor McKenna with two, Darcy Wilmot with two, Link McCarthy, um, sorry, Ryan Lester with three, Jack Gunston with four, Brandon Starsevich with four, Link McCarthy with five, Oscar with five, Cal Archie with five, Jared Berry with six, Hippie with eight, Jack Payne with eight, and Will Ashcroft with 12. So that's that's not places eleven through to twenty two there, and um, probably shows all of them had maybe one game or two games where they really stood up, except for Will Ashcroft, who I dare say would almost be a podium finish if he had a, if he'd played out the year. And if you need one silver lining about all of this, it would have been a little bit bittersweet to win it without Will with mm. all he's given. So you know we'll just do it next year when Will's there. Hey, we'll go, we'll go to the top ten though, and I'll count this in for you, Mike. So Zach Bailey came in at number ten, tied with Dane Zorko. They both had thirteen votes um, for the season. Probably sums up what I was saying about Zach. Um, you know, ideally he should be pushing the the top five yep. of a prestigious award yep. like the Royal oh, Medal. Yeah, you know, That's, set your sights higher, Zach. Uh, Charlie Cameron comes in at eight uh, with sixteen votes. Cam Rayner seventeen votes, and then we really it really is the top six who are head and shoulders above the rest of the pack. Here we go from seventeen votes at seventh with Cam Rayner to twenty five votes at six. Um, with Harris Andrews. So Harris comes in there at sixth. And obviously finals play a bit in this. We've doubled votes and yep. we've quadrupled in terms of the grand final. Uh, Josh Dunkley is fifth with, with 30 votes and fifth, fourth and third are very close. So Dunks, fifth at 30 votes. Kitty Coleman is fourth on 31 votes. Wow. Oh, and I guess he polled well in the- Couple of big the, finals. Big, couple of big finals, Couple yeah. of big finals. And then uh, in third place on 33 votes is Hugh McCluggage. Um, and so that leaves us with a top two that uh, we've probably spoken about all year here. And and staggeringly, uh, we can say that the winner of the 2023 Royal Deal Medal is Joe Danaher with <laughs> 56 votes. We've pumped him up with 24 in the last game. <laughs> <laughs> so Lockie Neal comes in second on 49 votes. He's led most of the year, Lockie. Oh. But Joe's come in with seven votes ahead of him and, and claimed the Raw Deal medal in the end there, which oh, is imagine a remarkable. Imagine how excited he's going to be. <laughs> <laughs> what are the odds we can get him to the studio for a, a presentation, Mike? Oh, <laughs> boy. Not good. <laughs> when we go on the camping trip down to Joe's property, we'll, uh, we can present it to yeah. him down there, hey? Something like that. But anyway, I mean, it's it's... It just vindicates everything we were saying there. Now, obviously, he's got 24 of those votes in the last game of the season. So, um, Lockie, perhaps more consistent in that sense. But for a, this is the first time in the Royal Deal Medal history that a, a key position player has won the Royal Deal Medal and, uh, and just shows the sort of year Joe's had. We've said this through the year. And so Brisbane have their best and fairest on Wednesday night. And yes, this voting is significantly different to best and fairest. They're not getting double and quadruple for <laughs> yes, yeah. finals and grand finals. But... I am so interested in where Joe Danaher comes in the best and fairest. I cannot wait to see where he comes, actually. I'm, normally, I enjoy going to best and fairest in terms of the count itself. Mm. I, I do enjoy going. But normally, I rock up going, oh, well, you know, Lockie's going to win and maybe Hugh will push him or Jared Lyons and Dane Zorko. Like, yeah, the midfielders will be up there. And I, I think Stars finished third and fourth the last couple of years, which is good for a um, small defender. But this, I cannot wait to see how Joe Danner and probably Harris Andrews as well, like key position guys, how their role is really valued mm. because 
we, we keep getting told in Best and Fairest, they're marked on uh, how they perform their role, play your role, like you're marked on how you execute your role for the team. Well, our votes aren't necessarily an, an indication of that, but I think votes aside and raw deal medal aside, we know that he's been very consistent as you touched on with you know, why you gave him the votes in the game. Like he has become a consistent, reliable performer and mm. there's not a lot of games where I walked away thinking, gee, Joe was average. No, no, not whereas, at all. Whereas Lockie, who we touched on this when we talked about him winning the Brownlow, he probably did have five or six games where he was like, yeah, he wasn't bad, but it was just, yeah, Lockie was okay. Mm. Uh, you know, and he had 16 games where you thought, oh yeah, he's had a really good game here and he's played very, very well. Yeah. But I can't wait to see how those scales level out. Yeah. And, and Josh yeah. Dunkley, who I think is going to be right up there as well, super consistent. Harris will be right up missed there. Missed a couple of games. Yeah. Harris will be right there. So who's there. your tip for the, the Merritt-Murray medal? Oh, I'm, mate, I'm, I'm going to sit on the fence. I honestly do not know. I reckon it's going to be super tight. And there's a big part of me that wants to see Joe win because mm. I'd love to see a key forward win something like this. But I just think it's going to be so unlikely. Yeah. As much as I'm sitting here gushing about how well he's played this year, I've just never seen, you know, awards of this nature go to key forwards when there's a bloody Brownlow medalist yes. and, a, yes. and a Josh Dunkley who's just been uber consistent all year, yeah, yeah. these midfielders getting the award. So I would, if I'm forced to bet, I'd probably ever so slightly go to Dunkley. Okay. Ever so slightly. The two games he missed, though, can bite you. I'm, only two games, but it can bite you. I actually think it's going to be Harris. I think. Yeah, he might. I would not be shocked either. For yeah. what the coaches value, I reckon. Are he's those four? Get are we here. missing anyone? I don't think we're missing. I, I think they're think the four. So. They're the four. I mean, you, you may be a surprise. Oscar McInerney jumps up there. Yeah. He, he's but, but, rated But high, I don't but think to that. I don't think so either. Into that top four level. We're not missing anyone, are we? Uh, you could say Charlie would be around the mark. He, his pressure was a lot better this yeah. year, but I don't think he's going to be up there at that level. So. I think those four are the are the four. Dunkley, yep. Neil, Danaher, and Andrews. I will say midway point of the season, Will Ashcroft, I think, will be on the podium. Yeah, I mean, he'll be likely. up there, but obviously, yeah. He's, he'll be doing very well there at yep. that, that juncture. Um, speaking of the club champs, Mike, which does, as you said, take place on Wednesday, the big question for me is best first year player, Jasper or Will? Oh, it's, it's <laughs> got to be Will, I'd say. Not by much, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because Jasper almost ended up playing as much as yes, Will, yeah. but he obviously just plays this much more difficult role for us to, to mm. judge. He's a winger, <laughs> and they're so much harder to judge than Will, who's playing half forward and inside mid. So. It, it has to be Will. Yeah, I think you're probably right on that. Um, well, congratulations, Joe. Uh, maybe what we should do, Mike, is on because I'm coming Wednesday night. I'll bring the medal with me, and we'll try to get. How a are we ever going to get this to work? Honestly, I don't know. Well, he, he'll be mingling. We'll, we'll oh, like, Joe, yeah, yeah. he'll he, be mingling. He has to. <laughs> he has to. Have a listen to just what came out of your mouth. Well, no, I understand. He'll be standing there. He won't be enjoying it, but he'll be standing okay. in the foyer. He has to stand in the foyer, doesn't he? Oh, he does, and then well, I don't know. <laughs> can he can he walk in it? When did let's I, I haven't even looked at timings or whatever. Let's yeah, say yeah. the night starts at seven o'clock. Yeah, or it's a six thirty arrival for seven o'clock sit down. <laughs> Joe could walk in at seven o two and just sit down at the table and not move all night. He and then, could, and then they do the big announcement. Um, We'd like you to uh, give the player some space and you can get autographs <laughs> at the end of the night. You know. <laughs> well, look, I reckon. And then he Mike, slinks out. Yeah. Hopefully, he's praying that he comes forth. <laughs> 
so he doesn't have to get up on stage and do anything, and then he can just slink out when no one's watching. Well, I reckon what we're going to try to do, me and you, let's make this our mission. I will get there early, and I'll meet you, and I'll bring the raw deal medal with me, and we'll try to get a chance to present him with it. I don't know if he'll take it with him. <laughs> oh, we, my God. We might see it in yep. a bin at the end of the night. I don't yep. know. I don't know. But I love the idea that it makes it back to their property in New South Same Wales. Uh, and, and we'll see if we can present it to him, get a photo with him. With it's kind of going to make me laugh about how awkward the whole situation oh, is going to be. It's going to be horribly <laughs> awkward. And, and we just and have to, to embrace honest, that now. I, I get awkward in that situation, <laughs> but I reckon this is something you're just going to embrace and, f- yep. and and go with. Well, this is we, your this is your jam. This is what I'm here for, right? And we've got the medal, so we've got to present it with him and get a photo. I don't know if he'll wear it, but at least no. holding it up. And uh, if we can get that photo and a quick thirty second chat with him for the podcast You're next week, definitely much more the Ricky Gervais of this duo, <laughs> just the king of awkward and uh, and really reveling in it. I would say. Oh yeah, no, it'll be great. It'll be great. So stay tuned. We'll try to present that uh, to to Joe. Imagine if he wore it all night, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> Goes up to to receive another. What he's got the raw deal medal on? Yeah. What if he got? What if he gets third in the best and fairest? It's like, well, I won this one. <laughs> Maybe this is how we get our invite to Joe's place. Hey? Do you reckon there'd be what chance? Do you reckon he would have ever heard one second? So Danny 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 Daly told me when I was trying to write a story on Joe Danner. Oh yeah, Joe listens to podcasts on all of his driving around. I think Danny just threw that in just as a. Mm. I don't know. I, I just think he threw it in. Joe does a lot of phone calls on the on his on his hours of driving, which I can understand, and he listens to podcasts. I'm like, does he really? Yeah. Do you reckon he's ever stumbled across the raw deal? <laughs> <laughs> I love probably the idea. not. Imagine if he was an avid, diehard closet raw yeah, deal but, fan. Yeah. I would love that so much. That'd be the best. Well, we'll see how we go on Wednesday night on well, that front, and if we can get the medal to Joe there, um, you know, or, or at least get it to someone to present to him. A um, couple of quick things as we move towards wrapping up here, Mike. Uh, I, I wanted to touch on, because look, a lot of the festivities around the grand final will be forgotten now because it was a loss, unfortunately. They'd be legend if we'd won, but um, it was pretty special on Friday morning at the captain's run, the 10,000 or so at the MCG, Chris Fagan being cheered as he put the cones out there. <laughs> that was just a pretty spectacular moment. And I will say, and I'm saying this very gently, but I've softened a little bit to kick-ons, Mike, just a little bit, because in the parade, <laughs> Hugh and Cam both did give me a shout-out as they went past. I think it was Cam who pointed at me and said, raw deal. <laughs> and I was like, okay, guys, maybe maybe what we have to do to, to create a truce, Mike, in the off-season, pre-season, we'll have to do a raw deal kick-ons crossover. We have to do a crossover on yeah. our channels. On our channels, yes. <laughs> yep. I don't think the lines are putting it on there. So. No, neither do I. <laughs> yep. Hey, Dom and Mike, want to come into the Springfield studio that we basically promised you guys to record in? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still. I will have to, well, we will get Jake Anson on. I'm, surely they've called it the Faye Whiting Studio, haven't they? Did they not go ahead? Well, um, but we'll okay. I'm going to dump on them while I can. Here. Why not that, jump in? That didn't go ahead. There's also not a written media box out there. So whenever I go out there to cover a game, I'm just sitting on a balcony with a laptop in the elements. So right. <laughs> anyway, that's my Springfield rant done for the day. So no well, podcast studio, nobody. Mm. No written media facilities, but anyway, no, it's great. Well, look, what what we'll do, Mike, is we'll do the the crossover, and that will be the healing of all tension there with with Cam and Hugh it on will that be. instance. Um, it was pretty special the parade though, and I felt so happy for the Lions players who've been many of them like a Darcy Gardner in the footy wilderness for a lot of their footy careers. Now being on the big stage was was pretty thrilling there. Um, and then a couple of other points we needed to touch on there is our Thursday afternoon live podcast, which a lot of you will have heard by now, obviously, 
uh, preview in the grand final from a packed Royal Derby with Brownie and Ash. And that that was just one of the all-time great afternoons. That was incredible. So let's just have like a couple of minutes of self-indulgence yep. without going on too much here. Because, um, But I, we, when we chatted last night, like pretty late at night, about the whole experience of the grand final and whatnot, I said, oh, okay, so the result obviously trumps that's your overriding thought of the whole week and the whole experience. So you're mm. never going to sort of wipe away the disappointment and the, yeah, and being upset about the result. But in terms of the experience of the grand final week, that was like, it's an, it's a raging success for me. Like I'll just remember this whole experience forever. Honestly, like it, it won't be like, it might be equaled at some stage if Brisbane come back and win next year, like that would probably, you know, trumpet, but mm. But in terms of an entire experience, it's pretty hard to beat what we've gone through. And that and that really started with Thursday night at the Royal yeah. Derby and and Kane, who we thanked on the night, obviously, but we'll give another shout out to here. It was just just incredible what he provided and put on for us. And mm. then, you know, the old uh, if you know, build it and they will come. And that's what yeah. happened. Everyone just piled on board and the support is just like it was overwhelming, to be honest. Like, yeah, it was. You saw it unfolding as it happened, and I just came in 15 minutes before we started recording because I'd just come straight from work. And you're just walking into like, uh, you know, maroon, blue, and white everywhere, and people singing and having a great old time. And and the did you say maroon, blue, and white? No, maroon, blue, and gold. Or did I say I white? You said white. I was like did maroon, I? blue, and white. What's well? Daryl no, white. Daryl White Darryl was there two white. days later. I was thinking about Daryl White. <laughs> Daryl White running running to our morning. Yeah, uh, we'll running, get to that. Running to our brunch in his suit. That was well done. We'll get to that. But yeah, um, we got to look. If anytime the Lions make a grand final from now, lock in, guys. We're doing a Thursday live pod. Yeah, lock it in. Kane. In the Royal Royal Derby, assuming that uh, assuming that that Kane's happy to host us again. But that was and, – and look, so many people to thank. I mean, Brownie and Ash were phenomenal. Um, yep. I think they were genuinely quite stunned at the, <laughs> the turnout as well. I do. I think that's genuine. And I said yeah. to you last night, I think Brownie's smart. I think Brownie knows how to kind of play up to the audience a little bit. He's mm. got this great mix of playing up to the audience and the crowd and also giving insight. Mm. So maybe he did a bit – but I – think he was genuinely surprised about what he walked into. Yes. Yeah, I agree. He sat down and I think he was like, I think the eyes did widen a bit. He was like, yeah. holy smokes. Like, <laughs> I knew I was going to come to a Lions pub and he obviously knows the Royal Derby well, but uh, his face is on the side of it. But I was like, <laughs> I think he was genuinely stunned about the volume of people in there. So that's yes. a credit to obviously all you guys and, and men and women and kids that came along, mm. thanks so much. Like you made our day. I think you made the players' day as well. Yeah, I think so too. <laughs> and and obviously though, there's a lot of people that wanted to come that couldn't. Mm. This is for everyone that listens and supports the Raw Deal. Thank you very much. Yeah, and and so stay tuned. I mean, and it's not just Grand Final Week next year, but it has made us wonder other live events we could do. I know I've thrown at you, Mike, about how we could get a live podcast, get Chris Fagan along for a season review, a preview in Brizzy, if people would be up for coming along to join us for something along those lines. Um, but yeah, we also have to obviously give another massive thank you to James North, our audio guy, who oh. we I cannot even begin to describe how much he saved the day in a bit of a crisis there on Thursday. It was, I think it was 3.15 and people were starting to line up. And at that stage, there was no live podcast. We couldn't figure out a way to interface our audio gear and, and the, the, the Derby's uh, audio setup. And 
James just went to work, Mike, and it was like watching one of the greats. And <laughs> and then I just I took a seat over to the side because I thought I can't be a part of this. It's too stressful. I don't know what's going to happen. And he probably doesn't need you getting in the way. No, and no, I walked back in ten minutes <laughs> just let later. Just master do his thing. <laughs> I walked back in ten minutes later, and we're off and running. I'm hearing the the country roads open to play around the derby, and I said, "How'd you do it?" And he said, "Oh, basically, it sounded like diffusing a bomb. You had to connect this wire to that wire." And, <laughs> All sorts of things going on, but but um, just I mean, this whole year of the the raw deal, as we've said a few times, it's almost a year. Halloween last year that me, you, and James first caught yeah. up and mapped it out. But but James is doing this out of the you know love of the 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 club and the yeah. podcast, and he's given his time to us, and we are just so 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 grateful to James for that. And as you said, to every raw deal member of the, the of this this family, I mean, we have been uh, quite seriously, I think, blown away by the, the messages, the conversations, the comments about what this podcast means to people, the people who enjoy listening to it. It has, um, it has touched me more deeply than I probably have the words to describe. Um, you know, it's so hard when you're sitting in a garage, just having a chat about footy for an hour and a half a week and you never, you never tangibly see no, no, no. who's interacting or engaging with it. And then on Thursday, Mike, you know, the conversation, oh, and the conversations Physically. we're having, the stories we hear and, you know, I'm hearing from my dad was doing the doors and he he met someone who's, I think whose grandfather was the first president of Fitzroy or one of the early presidents of the club. And and there's just all of these, it, it brings together all of these stories and threads in a way that I think sometimes mm. it's hard for the institution of the club to do yep. because it's a bit too much of a corporation. Yeah. But at a grassroots level, you can really do it in this wonderful way. And um, And I think we both have a sense that this is the beginning of something, not the end. Absolutely. I think seeing... What happened Thursday, and even to you know, to again to another extent on Saturday when we had a like a brunch before we walked from Federation Square to the ground. You get to see faces, you get to hear stories of people, and hearing those stories and having those interactions, and even without those, like just getting the online interactions with people, it actually like it gives me energy mm. to want to like. Not that I don't want to do it. Of course, I want to do it. I love talking about footy and and I love doing the show. But it just it gives you so much energy and and um, like invigorates you and puts more passion into what you're doing and yeah, makes yeah. us start thinking about oh okay well hopefully we can get Chris Fagan but if we don't what else can we do can we do how should we do a live show can we do another couple of watch parties next year with Dan our great mate in yes. in Brisbane like Dan held. Uh, Dan held two great watch parties for us this Got us year. Back to they, the Copacabana Club. They Let's went well, exactly. So these little ideas and and ways that we can improve the show and improve the experience for everyone listening and and bring our community, as we keep saying, it's this is it. This is our community, and that's what it's kind of what life's about a little bit, like creating yeah. new communities. And hundred percent, this is ours. It, it it totally is. So look, uh, it's been an awesome week on that front. Um, even if the result didn't go our way, and next grand final will take some of that to a whole new level, and and there'll be more along the way. As for what you can look forward to on the raw deal uh, in the next couple of months, we've got about two months of the podcast left for the year. We'll wrap up throughout December and January and come back for the intra clubs. I think we've mentioned already, but to the amazing people who support us on Patreon, we will pause all of that um, early December. We're not obviously going to 
um, ask for any <laughs> funds and support while we're not doing anything. Keep your money for Christmas. So that's exactly <laughs> it. So thank you so much. And we also understand for those who money is tight, if you do need to pause your subscription and you jump back in for the next season, all of that's totally understood. People do whatever they're capable of doing. We're just so grateful for each and every bit of it. But in the months ahead, uh, we're going to obviously chat a lot of AFLW um, as that season uh, really kicks into gear. We're going to chat trade and draft. It does sound like Tom Duday from the Crows is a reasonable chance in the coming hours maybe of nominating the Lions as his club. We might hear about more about that on Monday or Tuesday potentially. Nick Caulfield at the Saints has also been linked to the Lions. Beyond those two possibilities, Mike, do you think it's going to be a pretty quiet trade period ahead? I think so. I mean, most of the list, I think, is in place. I mean, we'll see what happens with Dev Roberts. And again, by the time people hear this, we the so half of these things might be out. We don't know. But mm. I don't think there's, hey, they lost the grand final by four points. There's not a lot of reason to change. There's not going to be, not like there's a bunch of retirees or people falling off a cliff at the moment and that need to be replaced. So I don't think there'll be a ton of off-season movement, but every little piece counts, as yes. we saw last year. I undersold the value of Connor McKenna at the start of the year and look what that piece, you know, what that proved to be. And, uh, you know, Jack Gunston came in. We know the impact Josh Dunkley made. Jasper Fletcher, probably the second thought of in terms of importance from the father-sons and look at the impact he had. So even though there won't be many moves, every little move counts. So we'll be here to discuss that and Mm. how each move can impact Brisbane's 2024. Yeah, 100%. So we'll hopefully have a chat with Steve Canola about all things draft. We'll see if our good mate Dom Ambrosio uh, might join us for a post-trade chat, something along those lines. Um, also, Jake Anson's going to drop by the podcast at some stage. I think we're only a few weeks off an announcement. That should be soon. Of the temporary venue. I mean, the Lions now only have two seasons left at the Gabba before that gets yeah. knocked down. So uh, things will have to move pretty quickly on that front. And Jake will join us to chat about that. Some other episodes we've got in the pipeline, Mike, uh, we want to do a deep dive on the club's academy. We've chatted about that yep. for a while. And um, also an episode with an umpire, which I might have an umpire contact that a, a mate might be able to put us in touch with. To chat all things umpiring and, and you know, for example, at halftime of a grand final, do they go in and get feedback? Hey, just watch the day cost highs. You're giving a few too many. Yeah. Things like that we'd love to get to the bottom of. So all that and plenty more alongside hopefully, you know, a season review or preview live uh, catch up as well. Um, I've always thought a season preview would be great, Mike, because it's interesting how the club does a big corporate launch of the season, but there's never really a big launch for fans. And so maybe we could mm. fill that void potentially for 2024. So um, look, the story continues. This is uh, this is the, the second last chapter, I think, before the flag, which will be the last chapter. Um, and what all of this will mean is when we do get there, it'll be so much sweeter for, for memories such as this, I think, Mike. So um, uh, I wanted to mention as we wrap up, you did make a preseason prediction um, that you saw the Lions making the grand final and losing. <laughs> I think you had I them losing too, to, to Geelong. But it was to Geelong, so. But you did see them losing a grand final. I did. I'm asking you 12 months out now, for, you'll change your mind on this in January, February. You can't I know. Hold I'm, me to this. I'm, no, no one's holding you Less to anything. Less than 24 hours after the previous season. No one's holding you to anything. And you might write something in February that's totally different to <laughs> yeah. this. We don't know what's going to happen in player acquisition, off season injuries, all sorts of things are on the table. But if I ask for the earliest of early picks right now, um, what do you what do you think for next year? Do you think we can do it? I mean, my gut instinct is to say yes without thinking of the other clubs because they're so close. Yeah, and I project that a few important players are going to get better next year. Mm. So injuries being even and 
uh, everything being equal, I think Brisbane. I think Brisbane will be better next year. So if I think they're going to be better, it makes sense that I think they're going to go that one step further. I don't know what the other teams are going to do next year, but yeah, mm. I would at this stage right now, yeah, I would think they can win next year. Well, you heard it here first. Mike Whiting's tipping the yeah, lines for the first. flag. So if they do win next year, you can yeah. say I called it the day after. <laughs> and if they don't, but if they don't, this is just no one ever uh, talks about this no, again. Exactly. I mean, this is stupid. Who's making a prediction less than twenty four <laughs> hours after? Who, who they stupid. just just to throw it into the ether because this would be so awesome if it came off. Who are they going to beat in the grand final in twenty twenty four? they will beat Melbourne. <laughs> oh yes, they're going to beat Melbourne at the MCG. Yeah, love it. Love yeah, it. probably comfortably too, I reckon. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Cam Rainer's redemption, all that. There we go. The Lions get to smash the Ds in a grand final yep. at the G next year. Look forward to it, guys. And oh, a couple more thanks. I forgot here, Mike. Aussie Man and Daryl White, we've got oh, to thank as well, boys. who Maybe. came along Saturday morning to our function and and um, and um all of those sorts of things. We'll look to it again. Aussie Man is just one of the all-time great legends and yep. um love that he's a part of our Raw Deal family now. Uh, so do I, mate. But just quickly, he, he is a legend, Ethan, Aussie man. Such a great guy. Um, give me 60 seconds on the Daryl White story. Yep, yep. Jump in. Phil, Phil no, you, you, oh, fill, you, fill, just... you fill the fans in. You give me 60 seconds on what happened at, <laughs> okay. at, at, taxi, at um, taxi, taxi Kitchen. kitchen. Well, okay. So it was we had Daryl White set up for 11.30 uh, to come and join us. So and, we could leave Fed Square by 12 to yep. walk to the ground. Yeah. So that was the whole plan of it. And I'm from about 11 o'clock, I'm downstairs at Taxi Kitchen just keeping an eye out for him. And I'm coming up to you every now and then going, I haven't seen him yet. No luck on this yet. Gets to like 11.35 maybe. I come up and go, he's not here. Like we have to leave yeah. at midday. What are we going to yeah. do? Yeah, it was like 11.40 I reckon. Well, it was like, 11.40. I, so that, then I go on. back downstairs, yep. wait for five more minutes. I come up at about 11.41, 11.42 and go, I, I come to you and go, we've told everyone Daryl White's coming, but he's not here. We're just going to have to, we're just going to have to wrap up. And and do some preview ourselves, and I think I'm trying to think of questions to ask you about midfield matchups and <laughs> yeah. things like that. And then I literally I take the microphone at Taxi Kitchen to yep. say to everyone, "Sorry, Daryl's not coming." And I pick my, the microphone up, put it up to my my mouth, and start saying, "Can I get your attention, everybody?" And at that exact juncture, I start hearing cheers. And then, you know, in a last minute heroic act, <laughs> Sarah White's walking through the crowd. It was like us. something out of a movie. <laughs> this big, tall guy in a suit just sort of marching the seas parted from the crowd that was in there. And he came straight towards the both of us. And we were just like, oh, oh my God, this is incredible. <laughs> it was pretty special. And then hearing some some stories from him before the grand final was, was as good as it gets. So, um, so many great moments like that over the past few days and, and so many more that, that lie ahead from here. So, uh, look, you're going to get the, the raw deal back in your feed. It will continue as usual uh, for Patreon supporters, uh, ideally late on a Monday night. Everyone else will get it on a Tuesday um, so this, this will pick up again for, that'll be the first day of trades, won't it? The, yep. the Monday we're back. Yep. So we'll have a bit of an off season chat there, chat about AFLW, uh, all your big off season questions, grand final review questions, send them through as well. But Lions fans, this is just the beginning of the journey, not the end. And, um, uh, it's been a wild ride to be on it so far together. And, and it will be a wild ride as it continues from here on the way to smashing the D's in the grand final in 2024, as Mike Whiting has already predicted. <laughs> Exclusively revealed. <Yeah. laughs>
thank you so much for coming on the journey with us, everybody. Uh, it will sit in our guts for a while until redemption arrives, but redemption will come as it uh, always does tend to do soon enough. Um, enjoy uh, your first footy-free week of the year. We can all focus on our other hobbies for a while. Read a book, mow the lawn, watch a movie, something like that. Put the Christmas tree up, distract yourself if you're an early celebrator. And uh, we'll see you next week here on The Raw Deal. <laughs> <laughs>